Right, good afternoon. Very warm welcome. Um, you're in the Discipleship Challenge uh, seminar, and uh, it's our privilege to welcome you. Uh, my name is David McNeil, with my wife Tyne on the front row here with the Midlands Area Leaders. And we know Jess, she's a real uh, friend of the family, a friend in lots of ways, really impacted us. Um, she would be somebody I would describe as a freedom fighter. Um, she's got you know, guts, energy, kind of passion around grace that isn't amorphous blob, but it's got some bite to it. And what she's developed by way of a course and material um, gives us ways of encountering people with a grace-filled message that gives people strength to live and do life and find freedom. So you're going to love her. I'm confident of that. So I don't want to take up any more time other than to say, Jess, the mic is yours, the seminar is yours, and folks, enjoy. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. Do you know, my heart is singing because there's so many of you here who obviously have a huge heart for young adults, and I can't tell you how that makes my heart sing. I'm so excited to be here. Um, should we pray? Because actually, you don't want to hear from me, do you? You want to hear from, from God. So... Father God, I just want to thank you for each and every person in this room. I want to thank you for their heart, their heart to see the young adults empowered to be all that you've called them to be, to see the young adults step into their calls to evangelize their own generation. And Father, I come with a collection of notes and facts and figures and information, but actually they need to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we have encountered you profoundly this morning already, but we pray, would you just increase your presence so that each and every person here hears from you. What is your heavenly blueprint for the context therein to reach and disciple this phenomenal generation? In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So this session, uh, we're going to look at how we reach and disciple young adults so that they can find, keep, but critically, and it is critically, share their faith is actually probably one of the most pressing questions in the UK church. Because I know in Vineyard, you're very blessed. I looked at your, your worship and you have a lot of young adults and really on fire young adults, but that is not echoed across other denominations. And in the UK, they are largely missing from many, many churches. And the statistics, which I've popped in your handout, if you haven't got one, perhaps shake your hand in the air and somebody will give you a handout. But they're, they're in there, they're on here. They're shocking statistics. And we can't leave that status quo, can we? The young adults, you young adults, you are um, the mission field. And it's so bad that we actually have foreign mission organisations sending missionaries to the UK. That's just bonkers, isn't it? Absolutely bonkers. Now, it's a huge topic. I actually do a whole day's teaching on this, um, which I, you know, if, if this gets, whets your appetite, um, think about it because this is a huge topic and I could talk for an hour on any tiny part of this um, very happily. So what I want to do is just give you an overview to start you thinking about these young adults and about your discipleship strategy to them. Uh, nobody wants to listen to somebody speaking for an hour, do we? I don't know about you. It, it drives me potty when people go for a whole hour. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this into short chunks and just give you a little bit of time to reflect. Because you know what it's like when people chuck you 10, 10 ounce T-bone steaks in an hour and you're like, I'm full and I can't take any more. I don't want that for you. So I'm going to do a little bit. Actually, the first bit's the longest bit and then have a pause for you just to reflect what's God saying to you. And then we'll do another two sections the same. I'm hoping, really hoping there'll be time for questions at the end. So if you have a burning question when you're going through, please write it down and bring it at the end. 
if you've got a question, I guarantee somebody else will have that same thought. So please do bring them right at the end. Now, before we start, I really want to encourage you that in spite of what we read, in spite of these statistics, um, in spite of what secular media say, this is not a generation lost without hope. And you know, I'm looking at so many 20s and 30s in this room. It's amazing. You know, they're not lost without hope. They are starving for God. They might not want what they perceive as religion, but they do want a relationship with God. And we're seeing young adults come to faith and asking questions in the most extraordinary places. It is extraordinary. I could share for an hour stories, but probably my favorite one is that I was asked uh, by a young adult if I would go out for a glass of wine with her. I didn't know her brilliantly. I was like, yeah, why not? And we went to this wine bar and I hadn't even sat down. And she said, is your God mad at me for having an abortion? Out of nowhere, out of nowhere. She had no church background, no faith background. I was like, crumbs, can't we just start on something a bit lighter? But actually it was extraordinary because I shared about God's, God's how precious life is to God, but about his grace. And 15 minutes later, she put her glass of wine down untouched and said, introduce me to this Jesus. And that is what we're seeing around this country. They are hungry, hungry, hungry for Jesus. But we have to get intentional about equipping them. And, you know, when young adults come to faith, I've just watched it in the worship here. You know, their zeal, their passion, their heart for justice are just awesome, aren't they? Don't young adults rock? I mean, seriously, they are amazing. We need that. They need to take their place. We need to get them into place in the church. And we really do have what young adults are looking for. Research by Barna and EA um, say very clearly, not only are they looking for God, but they're looking for community. What are we? Community. And they are starving for role models. They want somebody to follow. They're looking for not the spiritually elite. They're looking for authentic, real people who are trying to walk the walk, walking the walk, or let's be honest, at least honest about the struggles to walk the walk. So spiritual mums and dads, please stand up. That call this morning for over 50s, yes, 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 yes. We need you. But if they're hungry for faith, community and role models, why are they missing from so many churches? Why do so many young adults not manage to walk it out? They disqualify themselves and leave. You know, they come in and they go, what's going wrong? Well, what do I want to unpack today are three areas that young adults struggle to find their faith and share their faith or walk their faith out. And that's the world, the spiritual battle or the devil and the flesh. So we're just gonna cover these three today. So let's take a very brief look at this millennial world. You know, I find it fascinating that if you're going to mission to say Ghana or Senegal or India, you go to mission school and you learn about the culture in those places, don't you? You understand them so you know the things they're struggling with. Yet we don't do that when we're looking at reaching the next generation. But maybe we should because 20s to 30s are a completely new culture. They think and learn and communicate in a completely different way. Not worse, just different. And we need to understand that if we're going to effectively help them overcome the things that get in the way of their faith. We're looking to grow disciples and discipleship is key. Jesus didn't say go and make converts, did he? He didn't say go and get decisions. 
He said, go and make disciples. And there is a stratospheric difference. A convert will come in and consume church. They will do church. But the disciple, wow, that's somebody who is committed to overcoming anything in their life that's holding them back. They are committed to do the things that Jesus did to walk that walk. They want to be more like Jesus. These are the kingdom carriers. These are the people that carry the presence of Jesus, his fragrance to their own generation. These are the people that evangelize and bring their own generation in. It's discipleship, not convertship. It's disciples that will turn this situation around. And Vineyard, you are in such a privileged position. I'm looking at all the young faces you have. You have been privileged by God with this generation. And now comes the responsibility of growing and discipling those you have. And it doesn't matter if you have two or 200 young adults. We need to get intentional about our discipleship strategy. So... Let's just take a very brief look at their world. And this is, this is a tiny bit. I do a whole morning's teaching on culture. But let's look at some of the main areas where they may struggle. So firstly, they don't like institution. And the church is. No matter how funky and Holy Spirit-led, we are an institution. We know we're communities and family, but how do they see us? That's the question. Now, once you've moved past the institution issue, perhaps you do some outreach or a cafe church, we've got the challenge of their worldview. Young adults have the highest level of postmodernism ever. And with a post-truth culture, it's got to the point that an absolute truth is a hand grenade. And lots of young adults will say, Jesus is my truth. But they're not going to say Jesus is the truth because they're worried about the reaction they'll get. And I saw this. This is real. I was at the school gates and a young mum came up to me and she said, tell me about Jesus. Woohoo! Evangelist dream, right? So I'm talking to her about Jesus and she's hungry and she's hungry. And I mentioned Jesus is the truth. And she stepped back and she said, how dare you? How dare you? He might be your truth. He might work for you. Great. But don't you dare presume to say he's my truth. And then literally didn't speak to me for a fortnight. This is real stuff. It, honestly, it's tough out there. We need to be equipping them. Now, their heart for justice. Oh, my goodness. I love young adults' heart for justice. Crumbs. I'm behind it. But it causes one of the biggest stumbling blocks when they look at issues like LGBTQ. I can't tell you how many young adults I meet who will not have anything to do with the church at all because they presume we're homophobic. Now, I don't have time to unpack this. We unpack it on the workshop that we do. It's an issue. My own brother, when I came to faith, who's a millennial, his first question was, I guess you hate gay people now then. What? No. I have same-sex attracted friends. I don't hate gay people. God doesn't hate gay people. God loves everyone. The point I'm making here is we have a PR issue and it is a massive stumbling block to young adults coming to faith. Um, I can't unpack that now. That's a whole seminar in its own right. So those are things that are actually preventing young adults from even coming to church. But once we get them to church, we've now got an issue of their culture preventing their growth. So young adults are the first ever generation to define themselves as consumers, as part of their identity. What's wrong with that? Well, the problem is everything becomes consumable. Our relationships, our faith, our churches, we come and consume church. So when we feel that church isn't working anymore, well, what do you do in consumerism? You throw it away. 
if you find a young adult who's fallen away from church and you say, Crumbs, what happened? Quite often they'll say, I tried Jesus, it didn't work. It's consumerism, it's subtle, but it's there, it's pernicious. The way they make decisions. Now there's a challenge. So 20s to 30s are very likely to choose a path because it feels good, makes them feel happy. Anyone had a faith walk that's all happy and fluffy and butterfly moments? Oh no, no, it's a rough road, right? So, you know, when those challenges come, they assess their feelings and they think, this isn't working for me. It doesn't feel great. And they'll just turn around and go somewhere else. Both consumerism and feeling-based decision-making are seriously affecting their stickability. And there's a whole host more, but I don't have time to unpack everything. Those are the big ones. But if you want to know probably one of the biggest reasons I found young adults give up on church, is them perceiving hypocrisy. And that hurts, right, as a Christian? They perceive hypocrisy. So historically, uh, discipleship was seen as a list of things to do and don't do. So read your Bible, pray every day, come to home group, do church, don't sleep around, don't drink too much alcohol. Now, I'm not saying those are bad things at all, but it's, it's a to-do list. And when they look around and they realize that actually most Christians are struggling to keep the to-do list. Um, none of us are perfect, even leaders. You know, we slip sometimes. Um, and then you combine that with some key public figures falling like people that they really held up, they perceive hypocrisy. What are they looking for in their mentors? Integrity, honesty, openness, being open about the struggles. Their role models fall and they take them with them. It's a huge problem. Now, we need to be really careful that we're teaching out of a gospel of grace and we're honest about our own struggles. When we're teaching, this is something we can do, do very simply to perhaps be honest and say, I don't have all this yet. I'm not walking in this yet. I'm on a journey with God in this myself. Hey, you know, maybe admit to some of the struggles you've had. Keep it real. And we need to be really careful that they don't put us on a pedestal. But they do need to know right from wrong. So how do we steer a generation that struggle with being told what to do? Well, choices and fruit, which is the biblical model. So I'm going to just give you a very brief example. Sex before marriage, that thorny one. Any youth leaders in the room? Oh, my goodness, sex before marriage. So I was asked uh, by a young girl to disciple her. And uh, as soon as I agreed to that, the church leadership found me and said, you don't want to go there. Lots of people have tried and lots of people have failed. She's really difficult. She's a nightmare. And she's totally promiscuous. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I've kind of agreed to it. So if I can have your blessing, please, to have a go. Because Jesus didn't say, you can come to me when you've sorted it out. He said, come to me and I'll help you sort it out. And they were like, okay, on your head be it. We'll stand and watch. Um, anyway, she was a nightmare, honestly. She was, she was horrific. Uh, and she would laugh at that now. She was horrific. She was really offensive. And then one day she rang me up and literally, I hadn't even had to finish. She said, tell me why I can't sleep with my boyfriend. I was like, what? She said, everyone in church is saying, I can't sleep with my boyfriend. You tell me why I can't sleep with my boyfriend. I've had it with church. And I paused and I said, you can sleep with your boyfriend. She said, What? I said, yeah, you know how to do that. You've done it before, I presume. Uh, you know how to do it. You can do that. But let me ask you this. What is the fruit? How do you feel when that guy has taken what he wants and leaves you? And she went really quiet and she said, you know what? I feel used. I feel cheap. I feel like an unpaid prostitute. I said, don't you think, Daddy, God's got something better for you than that? How about making him wait? How about making him commit before he can have all of you? And then I spoke to her about the reality of two becoming one. We all know about the soul ties and sex, grossed her out. 
Ended the conversation. It did, it grossed her out. She was like, ew, because she was was thinking, doing the maths. Uh, But a week later, I had a phone call from the church leadership saying, I don't know what's happened, but she's come and she's asked for prayer ministry to repent of her sexual history with us. She wants to be free. And she married that young man and they're now a family. Now, I could have said, because God says so, she would have said, show me a scripture. We can't find one. What the Bible does is it gives us choices and fruit. So that's just a little bit more on that area. We steer through choices and fruits, a biblical thing. So all of this, very briefly, underlines the need to be intentional in our discipleship strategy, doesn't it? We need to address these cultural issues. We need to equip them to be in the world, but not of it. But if you want the real key to helping them overcome the world, the real key is helping them understand who they really are in Christ. Because so much of what the world throws at them is trying to steal their identity. You show me a young adult who's fallen away or who's struggling, I will show you a young adult who does not know who they really are in Christ. And they may have been to theology college. It might be all up here, but it sure ain't in here. And that's a long journey, which we're going to unpack as we go through this. They need to own, really own deeply, that when they became Christians, they became a brand new creation in Christ. As the scriptures say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. They are not the same old person they were before they came to faith. They are brand new and it is complete. They are completely transformed. For you are once darkness, but you are now light of the Lord. It's a complete transaction. Their identity and position that was lost in the fall is reinstated the moment they come to faith completely. It's new. They need to really understand that they are now filled with the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We were seeing it in action today. It's in them. It's in their core. They are spirit-filled, empowered witnesses. And what does that mean? It's huge. Critically, and this is basic stuff, but you would not believe how much ministry I end up doing in this area. They need to know they're forgiven, fully, fully forgiven, restored and holy. They're not just sinners, not anymore. They might have been sinners, but the point they make a decision for Christ, they are now saints who sometimes sin. The Bible never calls believers a sinner, only unbelievers. Over 200 times it says that they are saints and holy ones. I know this is really basic, but you would not believe how many young adults don't own this and the carnage it causes because they think they're defined by their mistakes. We all sin sometimes, but we are not defined by our sin. We are not defined by our mistakes. We are defined by Jesus. They are not defined by the labels the world puts on them. Because you know what? If they think they're sinners, they will sin. If they think they're alcoholics, they will drink. If they know they are holy children of God with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead in their core, my goodness, they become unstoppable. Because people will always perform to their label. Let me say that again. People will always perform to their label, what they believe to be true about themselves. Now, please don't hear me saying sin doesn't matter. The whole next section shows you how much it matters. What I'm saying is it doesn't define them. You would not believe. You'd not believe how many young adults I meet even in leadership positions who are saddled with shame, saddled with shame, crippled with shame. You see worship leaders and they're like, ah, it doesn't belong. 
They're holy children forgiven. It's critical they understand that because if they are saddled with it, they cannot move forward. It's epidemic. Another foundation stone is understanding that Jesus restored their spiritual life. Our spiritual life, that connection to God that was lost in the fall, which left us, as Paul describes, darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God, Ephesians 4.18, it's fully reinstated at the point of salvation, fully. Jesus said, I have come that they would have life and have it to the full, John 10.10. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. That life is instant. It's not once you shuffle off your mortal coil. It's now, the moment you come to Jesus, you are reconnected and you have that spiritual life. And with that spiritual life, comes all your significance and your security and your acceptance that was lost in the fall. And if you have a look in your handout, page three, the reality of that working out is mind-blowing. Actually understanding what does that mean? Who does that make you? Page three in your handout is our list of who people are in Christ. That stuff has the power to transform and change and set free people. You would not believe it just owning those truths but most people don't most people read them and go really not me yes you if you have invited Jesus into your life that is who you are it's not up for debate it's who you are in your core it's so critical because um, all of us have an inborn need to feel significant we want to feel secure we want to feel accepted don't we we're talking about a generation who run on feelings this is so important but if we don't know that it's found in God, that it's ours already, we want to follow the ways of the world. And we're tempted. We think if we want to be safe and secure, well, I need that job that's going to pay me loads of money because money equals security. Uh-uh. If I want to be significant, then I need that great job so everyone admires me because that will make me significant. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm Joe Bloggs, you know, CEO of the biggest enterprise in the world, aren't I great? Actually, it's empty. And we think to be accepted, we need other people to admire us. How many of us are leaders and we really panic about how our sermon goes? Yeah, and it's not actually because we want to serve God well, because we don't understand grace. It's because we're panicking how people will receive it. We want them to admire us. We all struggle with it. I struggle with it. It's absolutely epidemic. And the pull of this to young adults is huge. You combine that need for security, significance and acceptance with their culture, consumerism, Feeling-based decision-making where to have is to be happy and to happy is the holy grail. You can see why so many of them just get lost in the world. The key is helping them understand their significance, security and acceptance are restored the instant they come to faith. Whether it feels like it or not, Jesus truly meets all our needs, which is a challenge when people base their decisions on feelings because it doesn't always feel like it. Helping them to understand the only thing that defines them is their position in Christ is absolutely life-changing. Absolutely life-changing, mind-blowing. Often they want to bolt it on. So yeah, I'll take the fact I'm a holy one, but I'll bolt it onto my sexuality and my consumerism. No, no, your primary identity is who you are in Christ. It's a holy one. And the difference this makes is massive. So I have, to the quick story, I've had the privilege of discipling a young adult who was pretty much a prisoner to her town. She had such bad anxiety, she could only just leave her house to places she felt safe. She was never going to change her job because her anxiety completely controlled her. 
And she would say to me, I'm just an anxious person. My anxiety won't let me do it. My anxiety. And as we started to teach her who she was in Christ, and she realized that her anxiety didn't define her, but Christ defined her, that she had the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, when she realized that she wasn't given a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. Oh my goodness. She's got a new job. She's traveling around the British Isles. Every time she rings me, she's in a different hotel room. She's now speaking. She's teaching church leaders. It's extraordinary. She's no longer defined by that label of anxiety. She's defined as a child of God. She might still struggle with anxiety, but it doesn't imprison her anymore. It's critical. And that is identity-based discipleship, helping them understand that whatever they've done, they're not defined by it. They are defined by nothing but Jesus. Yes, sin needs dealing with, but it doesn't define them. That they are significant, secure, and accepted in Christ, that they have it in him already. That's the foundation of everything else that we do. It's basic, but it's absolutely critical. So let's take a very short pause just for a minute. I just want you to have a think about your teaching strategy in your church. What is your teaching strategy? Do you have one? Does it help them overcome cultural stumbling blocks? Does it really help them understand who they are in Christ? So just take a moment and just, you've got in your handouts, I think it's page blah, 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 two. Just take a moment, because I've got more to give you, to just think about that, and then I'll come back to you in a moment. Okay, I'm going to call you back. Okay, I guess you guys, you guys, your teaching in Vineyard is fantastic I know that so you are probably sitting here saying you know what we're doing all this already and I'd fully expect that for you guys um, because you are fantastic and I know you're very identity based it's getting people to get it from head to heart that's the challenge and you're probably sitting there thinking you know you are already doing that but perhaps perhaps you're just not seeing them growing you're not seeing them really stepping into their identity as disciples or well, why not what is stopping them from growing? Because that's critical, isn't it? If they're going to share their faith. Well, you know, in the Western world, we don't talk a lot about it. In Vineyard, I know you do because you rock. But it has a lot to do with the spiritual battle. Some people think the devil's just quaint or, you know, cute even, heaven forbid, or just kind of mythological, no concern. I was delivered out of spiritism. Not proud of it, but I can tell you he's very real. He is very real and he doesn't like us very much. <laughs> that's an understatement. Um, the truth is, um, there is a spiritual battle and young adults need to understand it. And particularly because of the increasing occult. So a lot of young adults um, believe that he exists, you know, because they have dabbled in new age or occult, even if they're Christians, believe it or not. I've got some shocked faces looking at me. But what they need to know is the truth about him because it gets very distorted in movies, in occult, in any kind of spiritual stuff. People get freaked out. They need to understand the only power he has is the power that we give him through fear and poor choices, okay? Because it all gets distorted. What a lot of young adults and even actually older people believe, if they do believe in the devil, is that they're caught in this kind of equal and opposite power struggle where you've got God and the devil and they're kind of fighting it out and they're just a pawn in the middle. You wouldn't believe how many people think that. But that is literally like comparing an atomic bomb to a flea. You know, Satan is just a created being. I don't say that flippantly. He's just a created being. He still roams the earth, but our position has changed. We're in Christ. 
We're no longer subject to him. We're raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2, 6 to 10, the seat of all power and all authority. He is subordinate to us. As long as we submit to God, he has to flee from us. James 4, 7, there's a caveat there. As long as we submit to God first, he has to flee from us. Now, please let me make it clear. I'm not going to talk about possession here. That doesn't happen to Christians. Satan can't possess a Christian. A Christian has the Holy Spirit in their core. They belong to God. He can't have them. He can't. But he can influence us. Let's not think he can't. He does influence us. He, hold, he can hold us back. Let's have a look at some scripture. Let's root this in some scripture. Ephesians 4, 26 to 28 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. There can be confusion here. Anger is an emotion. It's not a sin. It's a human emotion. But anger can lead us into things like bitterness and unforgiveness. It can lead us to, to um, yeah, anger can lead us to things like bitterness and unforgiveness. And that does give the devil a foothold. It's clear there in scripture. It's a fact. Now, foothold fascinatingly, actually, uh, it's not an easy word to get your head around. Foothold translates to topos. It means a place of influence. Okay, so when we sin, we give the enemy a place of influence. It's a legal right, and he will use it when he can, particularly when you see people stepping up to get into ministry, stepping up into the calling. The devil goes, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, I'm going to make you feel bad about that. I'm going to plow that back up. I'm going to use that to hold you back. Now, there is a very common misconception that because we're forgiven, our past cannot hold us back, that it's all covered. This is not about forgiveness. Please don't confuse the two. We are completely forgiven, completely. There is no shame. There is no guilt. But Satan is a legalist and he will use stuff to hold us back. Have another look at some scripture. John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Legal language, a claim. Got no claim on Jesus because Jesus was sinless. But sin gives the enemy a right to hold us back. What sort of claim? How does it work? Well, let's look at some more scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's a blindness issue. So these footholds blind people to the truth. And what we found in 25 years in freedom in Christ, not me personally, I'm not that old, but what we found is it works exactly the same way in believers who have sin issues. If they're caught, they are blinded to the truth. It makes it really hard for people to connect to the truth in their hearts. Might get lots of head knowledge. I've been to theology college, lots of head knowledge, but not heart knowledge, which is working out into their behavior. Does anyone else here struggle with teaching the same stuff over and over again and people still don't get it? Come on, let's be real. I do. You know, you do a whole sermon series on forgiveness and people still don't feel forgiven. You do a whole sermon series on, they just can't get it. It's, this is it. It's spiritual blindness. It's like rain on a tin roof. You can keep saying it, but they just don't seem to be able to get it. Spiritual blindness due to unresolved issues. This is real, guys. This is real. This could, you know, really help us all with these people that can't connect with it. A vital part of discipleship is helping young adults understand this. Young adults are the most tolerant generation in history. Okay, their culture says it is okay to try pretty much anything. So lots of them will come in and they've actually had quite a few sexual partners. Let's be real. You know, they haven't waited. I hadn't when I came to faith. 
They will have a history of things like gambling, pornography. You look at statistics of pornography, even in leadership, guys. It's real. It's shocking. Lots of them have uh, dabbled in occult. Even in Bible colleges, people becoming pastors. In fact, in 12 years of ministry, I don't think I've yet come across a single young adult who has not crossed into occult, even if it was unknowing, because it's so systemic. It's in kind of self-help things and business classes. It's everywhere once you recognize it. And I have come across a lot of young adults who are serving in church on a Sunday, but go to a spiritualist church on a Thursday. It's real. It's real. It's happening. And they think that's okay. Now, it goes without saying that any occult involvement gives the devil a socking great foothold. But all of these things are snares. Any sin is a snare. Whether it seemed like harmless fun, they soon get stuck. You know, you try it, you think you're, you're safe to try it, you try it, you can't get out. Then they start to panic because they can't get out and, and shame comes in and despair comes in. Okay, they're stuck. And then they get depressed because they're stuck and they can't get out of it. We can help them get free and we need to help them get free. I can tell you firsthand, so many young adults in such a mess. They might not outwardly show it, but they might have stuff in their lives they're really struggling with. And yes, even young adults in leadership, they're in a real pickle. But actually, you know, the harder you the higher you climb, the harder it is to deal with that mess because you then have the weight of expectation that if you're in leadership, you shouldn't have a problem. You can't have a problem because you're a youth leader or you're a worship leader. Let's get real. I spend a lot of time ministering to young adult leaders who have got, an, they are in a pickle, you know? The pickle's not the problem. It's you need, you need the help. Does that make sense? The issue is you don't think you can get the help. When young adults are struggling, okay, there's a sin issue. Never mind the sin issue. Let's get free. Let's deal with it. Let's empower you to be who God's called you to be. It's why so many young adults struggle to connect to the truth because actually they have secret stuff going on in their lives that they're so ashamed about, past or present, that they've never breathed a word to anyone about. You know, I was delivered out of occult and spiritism. I came to Jesus profoundly in this mad encounter with Jesus. The moment I came to Jesus, I was 100% Christian. I gave my life to him. You meet Jesus, you don't go anywhere else, right? Could I move forward? No. I was so held back because the legal rights I'd given the enemy, I couldn't step into my calling. I needed to actually deal with my past. I needed to deal with the legal rights I've given the enemy. And it doesn't matter whether it's occult, pornography, self-harm, eating disorders, drugs, alcohol. It doesn't matter. It gives the enemy a right to hold you back. But the reality is these footholds can so easily and gently be found and removed. It's awesome. God is so gracious. And when we help people do this, they suddenly connect with the truth. You suddenly see people being transformed. People that have sat on the curb and just not moved forward. All of a sudden, they just seem to just fly. They grow wings. It's extraordinary. And it's really simple. It's not rocket science. You just implement James 4-7. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he flees from you. It's for each individual to do their business with God. You don't need a super duper duper deliverance anointing. You don't need an Arnold Schwarzenegger of deliverance ministers. Each person can do it for themselves. Now we're not talking about power struggles. I'm not talking about demonic manifestations. Heaven forbid, I don't allow those. No one should allow those. We're talking about taking back legal ground from the enemy. The, the ground that they've given him to interfere in their lives. It's a legal, it's a legal thing. Now, at Freedom in Christ, we do this through a framework of prayers called the Steps to Freedom. Any, any of you use the Steps to Freedom? A couple of you, yeah. So what these do is they look over areas of people's lives from things like forgiveness and pride, sexual histories in there, and gives them an opportunity to get right in those areas. And if you look at uh, your handout, page five, I've actually included the step on pride. So you can see how it works. It's nothing magic. 
It's just James 4, 7. That's it. People pray through an opening prayer. And the Holy Spirit, he's so beautiful. He shows them anything they've doing or have ever done that gives the devil a right to hold them back. It's really simple. It's just a framework the Holy Spirit uses, which is really helpful for people who don't feel they have a prophetic gifting. Because I have never taken somebody through this who hasn't heard the voice of God. It's beautiful. And he's so gentle. And all it's doing is helping them say, do you know what, God, I did do that. Or I'm doing that. And I'm sorry. I don't want to do it again. But critically, the bit that misses from most prayer ministry is they claim back the ground off the enemy. Lord, I, you know, for example, Lord, I confess I've been hopelessly caught in pornography. I renounce that. I don't want to do it anymore. But I'm claiming back any ground I've given the devil through doing that. That's the difference. It's claiming it back off the enemy. James 4, 7. It's biblical. It's easy. It's gentle. It's peaceful. There's no throwing up. There's no screaming. There's no flying around and nothing. I've had power deliverance. It was not pleasant. I went through Steps to Freedom and it was just peace. I just sat on Daddy God's lap while he just disentangled me and it was the most beautiful thing I have ever experienced. Gentle, but critical. And it sounds so simple, but it's so important because young adults come in with so much baggage. I can't begin to tell you how much baggage some of these guys come in with. Actually, all Christians, we all have lots of baggage. But because that tolerance, they can come in in a real pickle. And there's other stuff you can use. I was talking at lunch, you got, you know, I don't know, RTF, Sozo, there's all sorts of stuff you can use. The reason I'm passionate about freedom in Christ is it's such a thorough house clean. One day of ministry and you have gone through every room, you've swept everything out all in one go, and it really gives people a leg up. And it's not just for people who think that you think they're struggling. Do you know any do you know what I mean by extra grace required group? Anybody got any of those EGRs, people that are really struggling? And actually, because they're really struggling, you really struggle with them. It's a reality, isn't it? Hurt people hurt people. It's not just for people like that. Every young adult that I've taken through these, you see them suddenly just launch because anything that was holding them back is gone. They just fly. Um, the results, extraordinary. Uh, just briefly, what should I tell you? So yeah, a few years ago, my husband and I were asked to take a group of extra grace required through this process because uh, it was a collection of churches and they all had people that were really struggling and they were making the leadership's life difficult. I'm just going to be honest. They were the people that were complaining. They were the people that the leadership could do nothing right. You know, they were, they, it was really difficult. And, and so we put this group together and it was a tough group. <laughs> we, we taught them who they were in Christ and then we took them through the steps. We did this... Um, not on a group, you can do it all together in a big group of lots of people, but for these guys, we said, we're gonna sit with you and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna do this really deeply. So we sat and, uh, and these guys, one at a time, they went through this prayer ministry and it was extraordinary. People who were completely stuck and had been, all of a sudden, a year later, were in front of BAP to be ordained. They were going to be ordained into church leadership. They were heading up injustice stuff. They were opening cafe churches. These are the people that couldn't move forward. And all of a sudden, they just flew because they could, because all the rubbish that had stopped them moving forward was dealt with. And I still look at them and I think, oh my goodness. You know, I think that, that group and how it started and where they are now, it's absolutely mind bending. It's extraordinary. So we need to help people get free. We need to apply James 4-7 in our prayer ministry. So just for a moment, because I want to give you time for questions right at the end, I want you to just think, what is your ministry strategy for helping people get free? whether it's occult or whatever, pride, what is your ministry strategy? Do you have one? So just take a moment. Okay, I'm going to call you back because some of you are already brewing questions and I'm mindful. I want to give you time for questions at the end. So again, some of you are running Freedom in Christ. I know some of you have other ministries running, 
The critical question is, does it apply James 4-7? Is it claiming back the legal ground off the enemy? Repentance and renunciation, yeah, that's great, but actually you need to claim back that ground off the enemy. But even with that, how many of us see the same people coming up time and time again for prayer on a Sunday over the same issue? And the frustrating thing is we might pray, we might even see them go down in the spirit and they get up with huge resolve and they're going to do this, but a week or a month later they've backslidden. Anybody else experience that? It's real, isn't it, if you're on prayer ministry? And then they kind of, the issue is, the reason for that is because they're battling the flesh. They're battling a habit. It's not just spiritual. We have the flesh to deal with as well. And they're stuck in what we would call a sin confess cycle. So they say to God, they're sorry for what they've done. And they are completely committed to not doing it again. But then they find that they slip almost instantly. And it's a massive issue in a generation who base so many of their decisions on feelings or whether something works or not. If we don't help them overcome the areas they're trapped, they are far more likely to fall away saying, well, Jesus said he makes you free, but I'm not free. It's not working. We've got, we've got to start dealing with this stuff. We have to deal with the flesh because the reality is no matter how spiritual you are, you still have the flesh to some degree, but we don't have to give into it. Galatians 5.16 says, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. They need to know critically, they already have everything they need, already have everything they need to overcome the flesh. They don't need a touch from a special super anointed person. Sometimes that helps, right? But they don't need that to overcome the flesh. It's their willpower. And the key thing here is knowing that most habits ultimately come from not knowing who they really are in Christ. So we've gone full circle yeah, most habits come from believing lies about who they are in Christ. And often that lie has something to do with making them feel, guess what? Significant, secure or accepted that something other than God will fulfill those needs. And they can come in all sorts of guises. If I lie on my social media, I will look better and be more accepted. If I win when I gamble, I'll have the things that will make me significant and secure. A really common, I'm powerless to stop looking at pornography. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I'm powerless. It's too strong for me. I can't overcome it. The problem is we don't know we're believing these lies, but they actually sit in us a bit like a computer virus, you know, infecting everything, the way we respond, the way we react. And they form things called strongholds. Now, strongholds are fascinating things. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, the weapons we fight with are not uh, the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power for demo to demolish strongholds. So whereas a foothold is a place of influence that Satan takes, a stronghold is just a fleshly habit. That's it, it's the flesh. And if you don't deal with them, the enemy will use that stronghold to take a foothold and keep, oh, keep sending you back. And that's that sin confess cycle. Now, real transformation happens when people recognize the lies that are controlling them and replace them with the truth of God's word of who they are in Christ quite often. Now, you might recognize these lies uh, in a conversation or a prayer. If somebody's struggling, they'll just say, I'm just useless. I'm just hopeless. I'm weak. You hear it. You hear Christians saying that, don't you? In prayer ministry, they're all lies. That's not true of any Christian. If I ever slip, I always say to God, why did I slip? And quite often he'll show me a lie. But let's be honest, you know, if you're looking after you know, 150, 200, 500, 800 people, you haven't got time to have those kind of conversations. You need a tool. And if you use freedom in Christ, it's made really easy for you because in the steps to freedom, which is the bit about legal ground, those lies come out like beacons. You just see them. Now we dismantle those strongholds by what Paul calls renewing the mind. Very biblical, Romans 12 too. 
Um, and basically you're flooding your, your mind with the truth. It's a truth encounter. So at Freedom in Christ, we have something called a stronghold buster. Um, and it's basically very biblical cognitive behavioral therapy. That's it. It's just reprogramming, re retraining your mind. If you look in your handout on page seven, you'll find an example for somebody that's struggling with pornography. And it's really so simple, but it is life changing. Because what people do is they write the line, I renounce the lie that, they put whatever that lie is. And then they write another line saying, I announce the truth that, and they go to their Bible and they find the truth that counters the lie. And it doesn't matter what it is, you will always find a truth that counters the lie. Quite often on that who I am in, in Christ list that's in your handout, there'll be stuff on there. And then they read it out loud for 40 days, every day for 40 days. Because psychologists say it takes at least six weeks to break a habit. It's not just because Jesus had 40 days in the desert, although that's quite cool. But actually, it, it takes that long to break a habit. And if you look at the work of Dr. Caroline Leaf, anyone read her work? She, you, she'll say you see brain scans and you see old synapses closing down as new synapses form. It is extraordinary. This stuff is so powerful. Um, I once had the privilege of walking with a pastor's daughter who was absolutely saddled in shame. You know when you see it on people and it's just heavy. And I had the privilege of taking her through the teaching of who you are in Christ and taking her through the steps to freedom. And she, like next day she was like, I can't cope. I'm, I'm still wanting to, and there was such shame around. I'm like, okay, what's going on? She said, I'm addicted to pornography. I have been for years. And, um, and she was in such a pickle. And we did this, um, she'd gone through the steps already. So she dealt with, the legal ground from the enemy, but she had such an addiction, stuff like pornography, sexual stuff, addictive stuff. It's really hard to break in the flesh. So you can do this and reminded her who she was in Christ. And she wrote out this stronghold buster. And every week she rang me and she was like, it's so hard. Oh, I just, I just, I feel powerless. I just, I said, I know, but just, you know, put your, give your phone to your parents. You don't have to tell them why cut the plug off your computer, whatever you have to do. You just keep reading this out, keep reading this out, keep reading this out. If you slip, deal with it in prayer again and then keep reading out it will get better and week after week she was like I can't I still want to look at it I'm so useless I'm so filthy I'm so this I'm so that I was like keep going keep going keep going keep going and then after six weeks she rang me and she was squeaking and she said it's gone it's gone I don't want to look at it anymore I'm free and so this young girl, you can imagine the pressure of being a church leader's daughter with that secret was free and she went straight out and started discipling her own generation she couldn't do that before she couldn't do that before. It's awesome. So we need this third strong. We need to help people deal with the flesh. And this is the bit that actually most churches really struggle with, if we're honest. Even churches that run Freedom in Christ often forget this bit. This is the key to transformation. So I don't know where you are in your strategy. Um, I want to give time for question rather than more time reflect for reflection, but I just want to encourage you. You really do need to look at this in your prayer ministry. It's not simply pray, zap them, they fall down, they get up healed. Sometimes, yes. But for most people, they have to deal with the flesh. Let God zap them and do that. But yes, then do the stronghold buster. Belt and braces, get them free. Because if you don't, these young adults, they fall away because it hasn't worked. And let's be real. A lot of young adults who come in, come in because they know that Jesus can set them free from stuff they're struggling with. And if he doesn't, because we failed on our part, let's be brutal, then they're going to fall away. And so these, these are the three areas that we really need to be thinking about. This is, this is kind of what I want to say to you, that we need to be intentional about discipling this generation, about all generations, but particularly this generation, because this country is in crisis. Teaching, 
to overcome the world and understand who they are in God is the foundation of everything else that we do. But their ministry that specifically claims back the footholds from the enemy. But then the bit we always seem to forget is renewing the mind. And that can't be done in a week or a day of singing through a scripture. It is 40 days is effort. And that they find really tough. You need all three. Guys, discipleship is not a course. I spent two years of my life putting a course together. It is not a course. It's a way of life. We've got to equip these guys so that whatever they come up against in life, every time they slip, they have the tools to get over it. So my big question is, there's a trumpet call from heaven. The young adults are not in their place. Even the young adults in our church are not in their place. Trust me, I spend my whole time ministering to young adults. And I'm sure there's some of you here, you're free and you're flying and you're awesome. But generally, let me just get real. They are not in their place. And God's heart is burning for these young adults because they are the future of the church. And, you know, they're not in their place even if they're sat in our church. We need to get intentional, really intentional about discipling these guys. We really do. We've got to get an intentional strategy in place and it needs to be covering these areas. Our calling is to be role models to intentionally disciple the ones that God's given us. We, Vinyard, you are so privileged. You have so many young adults. If we intentionally discipled all the young adults in Vineyard, they would change the world. Seriously, Jesus took 12. 12. Look at what they did. Young adults, how many friends do you have? If your friends were really free and really understood who they were, they could change the world. They could change their community. They could change their city. But we have to get intentional. We have to help them. It doesn't matter if you've got two or 200 young adults. The time is now. God is saying, come on, get them in their place. Get them equipped. Get them free. Put them in their slot in the puzzle because he wants to move. But he needs this young bride back where they're meant to be. It is a way of life, as I've said. But if you're struggling and you want, well, not even if you're struggling, we have a course. I just want to signpost it, Disciple. This has all the tools in it. It's not just a course, it's a way of life. I'd really encourage you to check it out, have a conversation with us. This is dynamite. You see young adults who literally cannot move forward suddenly stepping into ministry. It's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And they will turn it round. The young adults themselves will turn this round. They will disciple their own generation. They will, they will call them, they will bring them in and they will disciple them. I've seen it happen, but we need to do our bit too. The other thing I just want to say is this is a very short taste of everything that we have to offer you on young adults. We do run a whole day's workshop where you would have loads of time, a whole morning on culture and loads of time to really wrestle with this about your own context. If this has given you an itch to scratch because actually you want to know more about their culture, do grab one of the leaflets. We will happily come to any church and deliver this teaching. This is our calling. This is what we have to do. This is what we're doing at Freedom in Christ because we need to turn this around. Thank you.